Welcome to today's show. I'm really excited about today's guest. I think you're going to like him as well. Please help me welcome Joel from Budgets Are Sexy, best blog name ever, at least in the personal finance category. Joel is a financial blogger who is on course for Coast Fi, and that for those of you who might not know what the FIRE movement, financially independent, retire early. This is a movement of people who save and invest aggressively to retire at an earlier age than 65. Joel is a really interesting and unique case because he has set up and accumulated enough real estate assets that are going to pay into his uh, investments and ultimately he will retire. He just kind of has to let time and magic do its job uh, with the magic of compounding interest. So he's really somebody interesting. You're going to want to hear his story, especially because instead of squeezing every last penny to death trying to get to that early retirement number, he's created a life that he loves doing work that he's passionate about. His wife is a teacher. He is a financial blogger. So we dive into how you can essentially retire before you retire and how important it is to enjoy life along the way. And he even turns the tables and interviews me a little bit. So we're going to talk about the surprising secret to wealth and the actual definition of diamond hands, in case you didn't know. We also talk about what it's like to live in Australia, where we both have lived, engagement proposals, and other just shooting the breeze about life. So I know you're going to love this episode. In other news, I have a really exciting announcement, which is, drum roll please, dun, 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 book club. And our first meeting is March 25th. You are invited. It's every Thursday night. The book we are listening to this month is The Psychology of Money. If it's a little too short notice for you, we've got another one next month. We're going to be listening to the one thing that's going to be the book on cue for the book club. So if you would like to join, check out facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash money self-made to join the group or subscribe on moneyselfmade.com and you'll get all of the info you need to join the group. I hope we see you there and you don't even have to read the book. You can just tune in and join on Zoom. It's digital so you can join from anywhere in the world. We hope to have you there. Uh, Make sure to subscribe to the list so we can give you all of the important details. If you haven't yet, remember to click that thumbs up button. I put at least 14 hours of editing and filming into this podcast so I don't ask for anything other in return other than please like and subscribe so you never miss another episode. Today we have Joel from 5am Joel and budgets are sexy and I'm so excited to talk to this guest because he is an expert on all things financial independence, real estate, and waking up at ungodly hours of the day. So welcome Joel. (laughs) Oh thank you very much for having me. What are your favorite personal development tricks and what have you discovered on that journey? Oh, well, you know, getting up early, I think is the, the biggest one for me. It was kind of like a put myself first before um, tackling the day, just getting in the right mind space and headspace and whatnot. And it doesn't have to be 5am, but you know, just earlier than than the rest. Um, so sort of, yeah, getting up for me every day was was a big realization. Um, I like to also do things that um, I don't like to do or tackle things that um, aren't my favorite. For example, I I don't like being recorded and doing video calls and podcasts. Um, I just don't like it. It's a weird (laughs) feeling. Yeah. And so um, my goal is to sign up for two or three this year because um, when you do the things that you don't like to do or feel uncomfortable doing, it actually leads to some pretty great places. Taking on Budgets Are Sexy was um, such a strange move. I think they offered 
to other bloggers before they got to me, right? They said, hey, do you want to take over Budgets of Sexy? And the other people were like, hell no, that's impossible. That's the dumbest move ever. And um, I'm the idiot who said yes, because I, I, I like how tough it is and I like that impossible challenge. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's another thing. I think if you do the things that make you uncomfortable and you get out of your un- your comfort zone you start to realize that you're not really scared of that thing in the first place um i applied to be a speaker at fincon uh last year i've got nothing good to say i'm certainly scared of presenting and being you know recorded and stuff but i'm going to do it anyway because um because yeah when i force myself to do these things i uh, surprise myself and uh, it actually comes out pretty cool so anyway that's another thing what about you? What, what, what about like, so meditation and things like that? What personal finance uh, or sorry, personal development tricks and stuff do you do? I mean, you're right on my page. This whole podcast exists because I was like, I feel really awkward filming myself. I I should probably do this every week. This is my new thing that I'm doing. <laughs> every day. <laughs> yeah. That's so, cool. Yeah. I, I love that. I think the comfort zone thing is key. Like whether you're speaking in front of people or going skydiving. Um, yeah, that's huge. And meditation, like, you know, I don't, I don't understand it, but magical things start happening when you do stuff like meditating, journaling, visualizing, um, as well as doing things like starting an email list also makes me uncomfortable, but like magical opportunities start coming to me. So all about those, my final Everest frontiers right now is basically wrangling my diet into sort of like a whole foods, like very healthy way. Cause I love food. That's a tough one for me. And then early mornings. I have so much respect for you because I finally was getting up at like six or seven every day and then got sick last week for like a whole week. My body rebelled so hard. So if you have any tips for me, those are my two just like, oh, I cannot conquer, can't tame those lions <laughs> or I can, I just need to figure out the the like code. Uh, so I don't know what the secret is. Well, um, if I didn't set my alarm, I would sleeping until noon every day. I love sleeping. I, I could just do it all day, every day. So if I've got nothing to get up for, I just won't get up. So um, creating things to get up for is, is big for me. <laughs> making a list of things to do in the morning to do and uh, make, making them important to you and uh, setting your priorities is big for me. Yeah, if, you, if you're not looking forward to the next day, you're not going to get up early and try and start it. You're going to try and delay it, which is the opposite. So I don't know. That one's sort of like a, it takes a while to get going on making a list and, and setting that because you don't want to podcast every single morning. You don't want to journal every single morning. So you got to get really creative about what your list is and what you're going to get up to tackle. So changing it, changing it up is important. Um, and what else? Get to bed early. <laughs> I mean, that's just no brainer. I had this friend say to me once, he was like, dude, nothing good happens after 9 p.m. And it stuck with me. And I was like, that is so true sometimes. Like there's nothing that I'm missing out on. I can go to bed at 9 p.m. and not freak out that I'm going to miss out on something awesome. And if I am in the middle of something awesome at 9 p.m., I'll stay up and enjoy it. If I'm at a party or something like that, I still have late night get-togethers and hangouts with my wife and movie time and all that good stuff. I still do. And um, But for the most part, I'm in bed pretty early because I'm up pretty early. And so that's part of my routine. 
That's key. I so agree with you. Like I've, I've read a couple of books on the subject matter, but just like everything I do after like eight or so is just puttering around, usually watching terrible television on Netflix, you know, eating past my calorie limit on snacks for energy. So do you have like a bedtime wind down that gets you out and, and to sleep? Uh, no, I'm naturally blessed with the ability to fall asleep whenever I want. So, um, I'm waiting for that to go away and get taken from me, but, um, no, I've, I can sleep whenever. And there are a ton of people out there with sleep problems and I I feel really bad for them and they should constantly work on them. And yeah, I'm just not one of them. I'm blessed. Yeah. So jealous. I am like a night <laughs> owl. And that's interesting though, because there's like two schools of thought. So there's the idea that you have a different peak time and it's up to you to figure that out what that is. So there's night owls and there's, um, you know, early birds. But then if you think about it, I don't think any human being wasn't rising at dawn like several thousand years ago. So I, yes, but I probably am naturally a morning person. I just need to figure out what to tap into uh, yeah. to find that superpower. There's also the 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 people think their peak time is some people think their peak time is late at night because they enjoy staying up late. It's not because they're actually productive. It's just because they enjoy doing emails more at nighttime than they do first thing in the morning. So they'll call that their peak time because they think it's um, more fun for them. But the truth is they can do it in half the time in, in the morning. And uh, so productivity versus whether you enjoy it. And there's got to be a balance. You don't want to always do things like in your peak time because you don't want to be the most efficient human ever. That's a, that's a tough life. And it gets old very quick when you start trying to like efficient, you know, ties your life or whatever the word is. So yeah, <laughs> 100%. I know I am. Um, I'm like, obviously into self help. So I was obsessed with like the perfect morning routine for a while. But then I found it was like cannibalizing my entire day. Like I wasn't done <laughs> with all of the morning routines up until noon. And it was not making me more productive because I had to meditate for an hour and like do yoga and all that. So yeah. it's definitely a balance. <laughs> Um, so there's one other thing that I'm going to say, and um, this, I'm going to say this at the risk of being um, cliche, very cliche. And that is um, the other thing that I've learned about personal development and um, this journey I'm on is um, helping other people and giving as much as I can. And this sounds weird because everyone's like, oh, you know, the secret to life is to um, help other people get what they want. And um, it just sounds so weird, but it's kind of true. And um, so I'm sort of just going on a limb and trusting that as more, the more goodness that I put out there in the world and the less badness that I put out there, um, the more goodness that happens to me. Um, I started volunteering a couple of years ago and I never volunteered my entire life. I always give money away to the church or, um, you know, I grew up tithing and all that stuff, but like money is so easy to give away. And I thought it was the most important thing. So like, you know, I've give a lot of money, but the truth is giving your time is completely different. It's very difficult. It's not fun. And certainly like you gotta like, um, you know, stay motivated to do it. So that's been one that the more I go out and help people, uh, the more blessings I get in other areas. Getting up at 5 a.m. is a very personal thing. I have, um, you know, I work on myself. It's, it's a selfish thing. I pay myself first, the first few hours of every day. 
Um, but now I'm transitioning to how can I help others um, achieve that or get that for themselves? And part of that was my morning list. If I can um, share with people what I'm thinking or what I'm trying to do in the morning or what I'm learning slowly, I'm putting bits of goodness out there into the world. And that's, and goodness is coming back to me from that in um, some specific ways and some very general, very, very general ways. So Anyway, that's another thing I'm learning. You've got to be the same because you're putting out videos and stuff. 100% all the way. I mean, my parents always taught me that. It's almost like karma hygiene or something. Um, They always kind of push me to do the right thing. And uh, they love help. My dad is very into helping other people. Um, And I guess it took me forever to figure that out. So I really appreciate that lesson because I kind of got into, I have a marketing degree. I got into the business world um, and delivering value is always there, but it gets pushed back with like user metrics and, you know, like how much engagements did that tweet get and that kind of thing. It's crazy to think. I agree. I think your net worth is a, uh, can be a measure of um, how much value you're delivering into the world, which is why money self-made exists for me at least. So to deliver yeah. value. That's really cool. That's that's a really good way to put it. Um, in sales is the same. Um, a lot of my career was in sales. You know, you get paid based on the, the value that you provide. Um, and um, if you're invaluable to a business or to a customer, um, you get paid a shit ton because you're invaluable. So um, yeah, it is really that value provide and, and the same with the world. Um, sometimes it's difficult to track. Um, I get up and I do all these good deeds or I try to, and then nothing good happens in return. And you're like, well, hang on a second. I contributed X. I should be reciprocated X. That's, that's the whole theory I'm going on. Right. Um, but that's not how it works. It's, um, it's, it's very, I don't know. It's very funny, but, uh, yeah, you're, you're totally right. You keep putting goodness out there and you, you start to achieve your goals very quickly. That's actually like why I fell in love with my husband, um, because he is really a great person, but also on our first date, I guess he just wanted to be friends. Um, I didn't know that, but he bought breakfast <laughs> and I thought it was a date. And from there on out, it was game on, you know? Um, and I've been like stalking him ever since, but he, uh, apparently he just bought breakfast for everybody all the time. That was just like his go-to. So that's just like a perfect example, but I see all of his kindness and generosity boomerang back to him constantly. Um, so it's kind of cool being married to my role model in that way. Yeah, definitely. That's cool. Yeah. And then I also think, I mean, you guys are very young. um, And I think you're probably just scratching the surface on the goodness of things that you can put out into the world. Think about this 20 years time when, you know, you never know, you could be multi, 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 multi multi-millionaires, the resources that you have to provide more goodness into the world. When you're in abundance of something, money, time, stuff, apples, if you got too much of something, usually you share it. So uh, yeah, it's, you guys are just scratching the surface. That's really cool. So how do you organize your time when you do wake up at 5am? Like is you have what you said, you have to engage yourself and keep it interesting. Do you have like a rotating list or do you go to like the default and, and how much writing do you do a week versus like other tasks? Oh man. Um, okay. So I started getting up at 5am about four years ago or something like that, maybe five years ago. And um, at first it was extremely difficult. So um, my list of things to do was like, um, go for a run for 20 minutes, uh, try and work for 20 minutes, try and stretch for 20 minutes, maybe do a bit of writing for 20 minutes or 
maybe some gratitude or something like that. I sort of divided my morning up into chunks and I was very methodical about it and super efficient because your mind is so clear in the morning. You're really engaged and focused on what you're doing. It's amazing. So um, that was cool. When I noticed how efficient I was, sometimes I'd work for just two hours straight. And in sales, the more you work, the more you get paid because it's just, you know, the more effort you put in, the more sales you can make and whatever. So I started crushing it at work just because I could get up and throw myself on it. Um, then I sort of transitioned my mindset into like, well, why am I working every day? Why don't I do my own stuff? I could be a more centered person and then that'll make my whole day more efficient. So my day was sort of just about getting in the mindset to get to the, to like structure how my day is going to be, um, for about a year, I'd say a year. I went to the dog park every single morning at five. So I'd get up, grab the dog, make a coffee and go to the dog park for about an hour. And, um, that was really interesting. Being outside at 5am every day has this magical thing to it. I surf some mornings, so it's kind of all over the map. Um, that's what I mean by keeping it fresh is like, I don't know, I'm not a robot and doing the exact same thing. If you get into such a routine, it can get a little boring. So Anyway, uh, the 5 a.m. email is is really cool. I get up and I jot down something and send it out to people every morning. And uh, people seem to be liking that. Then they, you know, reply. So I spend, um, uh, I don't know, between half an hour and an hour every morning on the computer trying to put something out there and learn something new and share it with others and um, conversate a little bit. So um, that's part of the routine. And that always has sort of been there. Um, and I like to write first thing in the morning because you, yeah, again, you're sort of fresh and come up with something new. So it's scary as well. Um, you know, trying to write something really quick and shoot it out to everyone, but it keeps me on my toes. So (laughs) that is so cool. Have you seen any, uh, gradual or immediate changes or effects in terms of like, you know, a daily practice snowballs into something new? So is there, are you seeing anything like that? If not, that's okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think all the benefit, I think a lot of the benefits came from, uh, when I very first started, I think the first 90 days is, is so amazing. And if you can just continue doing that, you start to, um, just reshape the way you think things I've been doing it for so long. I don't think I've, can, you know, um, you know, these big benefits don't suddenly come up, you know, right now for me, uh, because things are so regular, but, uh, I'm definitely a more, calmer and centered person from uh getting up early collected a ton of notes and things like that and um, self-reminders uh i've you know covid was interesting for everyone they they don't like being alone or being by themselves or staying home um i was prepared for it because i'm alone every single morning and um being by myself is is natural to me now so um so i thrived in that environment which is um yeah strange to say but uh but good for me. So yeah. Same here. I was like a little butterfly all through COVID. I was like, I'll just do all the things I always wanted to do. Uh, Cause I'm an introvert. I must be uh, to like have thrived in COVID, but yeah, actually um, I will say, say one thing. So you're talking about the compound effect and you talk about like how little things add up over time and little daily habits. Um, there are a few, few cool things. Um, that I did. Number one was I threw myself into real estate investing study. Um, if you listen to a one podcast every single morning for a hundred mornings, you can get through a hundred episodes of a pretty dang good podcast and you start to absorb this information. So just like if you start to read 20 pages every day, and if it's only personal finance books, then in like six months, you've got like a, you know, 
a small like certificate or degree in personal finance. So anyway, um, studying an area of interest, whether it's um, a hobby or an art or something like that, just a tiny bit every single day really does um, add up. And I think uh, some of my real estate success came from that because instead of tackling a massive project like buying a house, I just divided it up into 50, 20 minute tasks. So anyway, yeah, that's, that's one thing is um, you can certainly tackle massive projects by taking one bite at a time. I agree with you completely on that one. And I, I'm a total audible and obviously a podcast addict, which is why I had to start my own. I've been following your email and we connected because you said you were selling some real estate properties and I was interested in buying. I consider you an expert because you know much more than I do about real estate. You got started in your early twenties. Is that right? Yeah, actually. Um, oh, let me think. So I was 18. Um, my brother yeah. and my mom and my dad and I all pulled money together to buy our first uh, rental property together. So that's that's sort of where it got started. And I had no idea what I was doing. I think uh, people are like, oh, wow, you had a vision mapped out from the very start. But no, I definitely didn't. So I sort of just stumbled into it. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like you said, I, I own a a few rental properties and people think, wow, you're this, you know, expert. I think it's just, I've made more mistakes than most people. So it's, uh, it's fun to talk about though. I was just thinking that today as I was doing laundry, I was like the one difference between successful people and not successful people is just, you failed a lot more. Um, I think. So, Great point. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious though. Why you, why do you want to get into real estate and what's the, uh, what's the driver there? So I, I actually vowed I would never do real estate because I grew up in real estate. My parents flipped houses from the time I was a child. I grew up on a work site. And as much as I loved it as a teenage girl, uh, I have some stories about just being like being on a half built house is not wasn't fun for me. Uh, I also saw my parents make all of the mistakes in the book. This was pre-internet. So they, you know, there was not really anything you could Google. There was no community like what we have. Um, But then as I got older, they have since failed forward into success. So it's been really cool watching them sort of retire into a similar situation. I think you're in right now. And yeah. And I just am um, also highly anxious when it comes to money. I've got to like diversify. So we're heavy in stocks and now I want to kind of like even it out. So that's sort of my interest. Oh, that's cool. You know, a lot of people want to get into real estate and for all different reasons. So um, yeah, I just think it's really interesting to hear everyone's experience and their expectations as well. Some people go in with expectations of it being really easy and them getting rich really quickly and flipping houses and it's not necessarily the case. So, um, you know, yeah, I just, I just like to hear it. Yeah, you have a personal connection or like a childhood connection with real estate to some degree. Is that right? Did yeah, a little bit. Yeah, my uh, so my grandpa was a realtor in Australia where I was born and raised, and um, he was pretty successful. I think he retired when he was probably early fifties, which is which is pretty cool. Um, he had a number of rent properties. My uncle was a mortgage broker in Cleveland, Ohio, and he was very successful uh, up until the 2008 recession, which which um, hurt a lot of mortgage brokers. And um, yeah, I kind of like analyze these guys. They talked to me a little bit about how it worked and whatnot, but uh, I never really got any coaching or anything from them. But I definitely sort of grew up with the uh, feeling that real estate was just, I don't know, I always thought wealthy people owned real estate and real estate was the only path to wealth and all this stuff. So yeah, I was uh, just kind of like blinded a little bit by the real estate. I'm the opposite of you. I think I'm heavy on the real estate side and I never, I need to play catch up on the you know stock market side and diversifying out of real estate. So that's been a, it's been an interesting transition. Yes. I think that's why we're like the perfect people to probably be hanging out and have a conversation because- <laughs> 
<laughs> we can learn from each other. So how, what process would you take? I mean, someone like me, uh, we just are getting started. If I wanted to get into real estate and do nothing, what would be your ABC steps for beginners? My advice is to figure out what your why is um, and see if it's a good reason to even get in in the first place. Kind of like what I said, I think you, um, you've got realistic expectations about what real estate will bring you guys. You've got a goal to diversify. These are, these are great reasons to look into real estate. You've also got time on your side. You're not in a rush to go buy something and, um, you don't have unrealistic expectations. So that's, I'd say, question your why just to start with. I think a lot of newbies, um, want to get into real estate just because they, just because everyone else is, they have this fear of fear of missing out. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. So it's a mistake because it'll lead to, um, bad purchases, which will lead to subpar investments, whether you lose money or not make as much as you would elsewhere. Um, this personality thing as well, I would say for new people, uh, if you're passionate about it, usually you're passionate enough to overcome the problems and see through the challenges to see through all the way to success. So yeah, just check your passion and make sure you're in it for the long haul. Um, as far as like just general advice, I would say, take your time researching. There's a ton of good podcasts out there. Do you listen to any of the real estate podcasts? Bigger Pockets is a big one. They've got a, um, a couple different versions of their podcast, um, a ton of blogs and, um, an online network of other real estate investors you can listen to and, you know, draw good information on for free. Um, you know, there really is no rush to get into real estate. So I would say just take your time researching, reading books and things like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I mean, I listen to, I listen to bigger pockets and it sparks my interest. Sometimes it's almost like, it sounds like you just need to take action versus learn. Like there's only so much that you can learn beyond, for example, the Burr method, which is buy, I'm going to forget it, buy, renovate, resell. Yeah. <laughs> I should just Google it. <laughs> See, this is why I have you on the show. Do you know the yeah, Burr no, method? I, yeah. I think it's buy, um, rehab, refinance, uh, and repeat. S. Yeah. Um, Good oh, rent and then repeat. Yeah. Something gotcha. like that. Yeah. Rehab, <laughs> refinance, <laughs> repeat. And it's a, uh, it's a good method because you collect, um, you know, you sort of collect uh, a bunch of rent properties over time using the last one to finance the next one. Um, a lot of the time you're, you're, um, you know, if you, if you choose a right area, you can sort of rinse and repeat the same process. You don't have to learn a whole bunch of new stuff the next time. Um, if you, you can actually use other people's capital to do it. So there's some really smart ways. Um, house hacking is another one. If you're really young and you don't care about like sharing a room with people or sharing a house with people, or if you can buy a small multifamily property, that's an awesome way to get into real estate. You buy a house and rent half of it out. There's, there's half of your mortgage payment made right there. So yeah, there's some really good things that you can get from bigger pockets and ideas to jump into real estate. I love that. Yeah. Um, I'm curious how you manage all of your properties and like, how many do you own at this point? Uh, well, let's see. Um, my, my mom started, um, let's see, this is way back when we got our first rent property. Um, my mom made me manage the books and it was kind of a cool experience. Uh, she showed me, we actually did it with pen and paper in like a lined notebook. Uh, she had, you know, income and then all of our expenses written down and, um, the splits on ownership for myself and my parents and my brother and, 
you know, as we owned it. So she was, she was really good on the math side. And so I love managing the, the cash flow side of the business. Um, for the property management side, I've never actually had to really deal with tenants or anything like that. Uh, maybe a little bit for some of my rental properties, but for the most part, I hire a property manager to do all that stuff. Um, while that sounds good and, um, you know, you, you don't have to deal with a lot of the midnight toilet calls and stuff like that. Um, you still have to manage the manager. You can't walk away completely. You still got a responsibility for the place. Uh, the problems that happen there are still your problems to go and deal with. So um, you can outsource management, but you can't outsource like ultimate responsibility. So after a while, you sort of you build up a collection of houses and then it does start weighing down on you no matter how much property management you have. So yeah, that's how I manage it. I've, I've got a really good property manager who manages most of my stuff. Uh, real estate partnerships are a really good um, thing as well. Uh, syndications, people call them. Basically a group of people that um, raise capital from other investors to go and buy large apartment complexes and um, mobile home parks and storage units and things like that. Um, from an investor perspective, you actually just give them their money. You okay their business plan. You become a partner, you give them the money, and then you actually let them manage it all. Um, I found those to be quite passive. So my wife and I have um, our count right now is we've got five physical rent properties, um, duplexes and fourplexes that we manage and own, and then five um, syndications. These are uh, private partnerships that just pay us dividends. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, actually, I haven't told anyone this. We closed um, We closed just the other day on our 10th. So sort of big news for us. Um, we'll, we'll put that out on budget soon, <laughs> which is going to be fun. But uh, yeah, and the goal is to um, slowly shift away from real estate. I think this is about the max that we want, but uh, that's, that's what we got right now. That's so cool. Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Um, <laughs> hey, I just want to say as well, you mm-hmm. know, for everyone else out there. Um, so buying and holding rental property is just one real estate strategy and syndications is just one real estate strategy. And then there's the flipping houses and then there's land contracts and, you know, all that stuff, house hacking, the Burr method. So um, I guess what I want to say for uh, beginners is figure out what skill set you have and what you're good at and then match the real estate strategy that's suited to you. You don't have to go and flip houses. People think, oh, I'm going to invest in real estate. I'm going to flip some houses. You don't have to. You can buy one property and hold it for 40 years. You'll probably make money that way. And then on the other side, you don't have to buy and hold a property. You can do something. If you're really good with your hands and creating value, you can just go ahead and do that. So anyway, there's a ton of different ways to make money in real estate. I've tried it or I've dabbled a little bit in each of them and I found what works for me and it's more on the passive side. So anyway, that's yeah, something to think about. I love that. Yeah, that's um sort of my perspective as well. I've heard it's good to like pick a strategy, stick to it. I'm also looking for something extremely passive. Um so I love the idea of kind of outsourcing to, you know, all of the work to someone else. And I love that you're doing it remote as well. So your properties are are they all in Texas or are you diversified across the US? Um, heavily, heavily um, invested in Texas, which is great because it's all frozen right now and busted pipes and all that fun stuff. I would say um, to anyone else out there, try and diversify uh, a couple in Florida. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm around the place, but mostly in Texas. Um, the cool thing about uh, remote real estate investing is you can sort of live independently of where you're um, where your assets are, which is cool. Um, you know, a lot of people find that scary, but I think with the tools available now, the internet and stuff, it makes it really easy. I'm still heavily engaged with my property manager there and I research the local community as if it was my backyard. So 
Um, there's still a lot of involvement, but you can do that remotely. And that's, that's pretty easy. Yeah. It took me about a year to find my first rental property. Um, I sort of started with a small town, started to look at the demographics, started to call on property managers there and realtors there and took me about a year. So it takes a long time. (laughs) Um, yeah, but it's good because I live in Los Angeles and dude, the place just around the corner that's for sale is $1.2 million and it's a teardown. It's two bedroom, one bathroom. It's just for the land. And I would never be able to afford that, especially as a young kid. So anyway, investing remotely was, I was kind of forced to just because I can't afford to do that where I live right now. That's exactly the situation Mike and I were because we relocated out to like family because we're both from New Mexico after uh, COVID hit, but we were in San Francisco and we were going to invest remote. Yeah, but we were really lucky that we did because now we've been able to invest out in Albuquerque and I guess it's actually a pretty hot spot. Uh, It's like best places to live on a bunch of lists right now. But I personally want to invest in um, Texas or Nashville and Florida sounds like an interesting thing as well. Did you get those properties like earlier or later? How did that work out? Uh, the Florida ones are um, apartment complexes with um, with other partnerships that I invest in. So I personally didn't pick those. I looked at Florida to buy rental properties in, but I didn't. It didn't fit my criteria. <laughs> I think um, Florida is very is a little cyclical. It can go up really high in value and down really high in value. And what I liked about Texas was it was just a little bit more steady. Um, and I say that now, but this was 2015 when I found my, or 2014 when I found my little town and dude, it's, you know, Texas has gone nuts in the last 10 years. So it sounds like it's, there's, you know, I picked this booming place, but I didn't, I actually picked it because during the recession, it didn't actually drop overnight. Like a lot of these other States did. So it was actually quite steady. Um, they're saying that, and I was looking at all these articles about Texas being the new, I don't know. It's going to be the the most populous state by year, whatever. And yeah. So anyway, that's why. That's so cool. Yeah. Texas is blowing up, but, and I was going to say major props. I remember wanting to get into Austin real estate like three years ago or something. And I really wish I did pre COVID. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, what have you been dealing with, with the blackouts? Um, Blackouts as in like the cold storm over there. Is that what's going on? Like I heard the power was out, but maybe it's not in your town. It might just be Austin. No, it's it's definitely in my town. Yeah, um, no, it's it's a it's this freezing storm. So it's Texas, um, and the town that I invest in is um, it's outside of Houston and Austin, sort of it's sort of in the middle of nowhere. But anyway, um, the last time they had negative degrees, like in in the winter, was I think two thousand and eleven, and it was it went to the negative for like one day. This time, it went down in the negative for over a week. And what happens when a um, whole state that's not really used to cold weather goes into extreme Arctic, like freezing temperatures is um, people start doing stupid things. Um, they turn on the, the heater and they draw a ton of power. And the power system wasn't really made for all that. And you can read articles on why it went down or whatever. But anyway, so they had big blackouts and that caused more problems because when the power comes back on, everyone draws from it right away. And so they had to distribute power evenly. So then they did controlled blackouts where they say, all right, you're neighborhood is going to be off for one hour and then on for one hour or off for three hours and then on for one hour some neighborhoods were hit worse than others but this lasted sort of on and off for a whole week um, to compound that issue 
uh, a lot of the people don't know how to deal with cold weather in their house. So uh, people's pipes started to freeze and blow because they didn't know to leave their, you know, to heat up their house a certain way or leave their water running a little bit. And people started dying because they were, you know, um, making fires inside their house or they, they run their car in their garage to just to warm up because they're so freezing and they're not built for snow and, you know, they're, they accidentally kill themselves. And so these are horrible stories, but yeah, Texas just got hit with one of the biggest disasters. So um, yeah, on the street that I own places, two of them, uh, two of the four on the, the street have uh, p- bursted pipes. Um, horrible stories. Yeah. The tenants inside are sort of without um, water and power. We're getting that all fixed up. It's horrible. Yeah. So, <laughs> so no, it's not being a landlord is not dreaming right now. If you own in Texas. I'm so sorry. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, I didn't know how, I mean, I knew it was bad, but oh my goodness. Uh, how are you managing it from afar? Like, are you happy to manage your property manager a lot? Um, so the, my property manager is in it also. Uh, you know, if you think about it, she's stuck at home uh, on and off power. You can't drive anywhere right now. It's not like they have snow plows where they just plow all the roads and whatever. They're not built for that. So everyone has to stay home. Well, there's ice everywhere. It's extremely dangerous. So everyone's staying home. They they can't walk because they don't have the gear. So yeah, it's, it's sort of a big problem. Um, the good news is that um, because it affects everyone, everyone's pretty patient. And in disastrous times, instead of people turning on each other, they actually help each other. They become a community. So everyone's very forgiving. So at first, when I heard that one of my tenants had a water you know, leak in their thing, I was like, oh, you know, they're going to be so annoyed at me and maybe they're going to want another place to go or whatever. But really, that's the least of their concern. They're worried about getting food. They're worried about staying warm. They're worried about where their family is, how they're going to like power their next meal. So anyway, I think um, they've got bigger problems to deal with than like you know, fixing their or taking a shower right now. Um Remote. So anyway, I've been talking to my project, uh, my property manager every day, um, texting and calling where I can, you know, trying to just support them remotely. Obviously, I want a status update on what's going on with my places, but at the same time, I don't want to bother her because she's probably talking with everyone. Um, insurance is a big part of this. Insurance companies have started emailing everyone saying, you know, the claims department is overloaded and whatnot. So just be patient there. All the plumbers in town and electricians and whatever have too much work to go and visit everyone. So I think we're still in the middle of it, even though that the weather is back to normal ish, uh, we're still in the middle of it. So yeah, it's just communication right now. Oh my gosh. Well, I hope you pull through, but it sounds like you're, you're on the right track forward. So, you know, um, it's funny because everything now I think is just a money problem. Um, personally, there's nothing I can do. I mean, California, my places are in Texas. I have the boots on the ground over there. Everything has to be hired out pretty much. So um, yes, I want to stay involved. But at the end of the day, um, I can solve all this. I think about how much money do I have to um, pour into this? How much money am I going to lose? How much money? So it's just a money problem. And it's horrible what's happening over there. Um, I, I care for the people and whatnot. But from an investment standpoint, it is what it is. I'm in it because I have to stay in it. It's not like I can sell the place tomorrow. So anyway, I just have to deal with it. Kind of like your GameStop stuff. There's nothing you can do about if you're in it for the long, long run. This, you know, you can feel good or bad, but you're just bringing that all on yourself. Yeah, you're, it sounds like you're a diamond hands when it comes to real estate properties. And- um, you, 
Well, uh, some of them we're going to sell, but uh, those are more just um, diversification things. It's a bit of a shuffle, but no, we don't want to sell our investments. We want to keep them because it's a lot of work to buy them. So why would you want to sell them? Then you have to just go buy more stuff. So yeah, I think uh, holding for the long run, yeah, buy and hold is the way to go. Well, I love that we're talking about that though, because I think that's so important. There's a lot of get rich stuff on the internet that I hope these types of conversations are an anecdote because while it is awesome and fire is awesome, there's always kind of like the benefits and the downsides to to anything that you take on. How did you, when you decided to coast fi, it sounds like you went from a really uh, high powered job to this blogging job right now. Like how did that happen exactly? Um. Uh, I was never in a high power job. I was no. just a, a pleb sales rep that was wrapped up in, um, in, in the game, really. Uh, you know, it's in tech sales, you, you make a lot of money, but, um, you know, there's always people who, out there who make more. This one guy I worked with made a million dollars a year, $1 million per year. That, that's what he made in commissions. It's insane. So um, anyway, people think like, oh, you had this really high paying job. It's not. In Los Angeles, it's not. And so anyway, (laughs) um, so it probably sounds more important than it was. I was just in sales and uh, really worked hard and, you know, good at what I provided that value in my area. Um, You know, I think one day I sort of woke up and decided that I was climbing a ladder that I didn't really know uh, where the top was and didn't want to be on that ladder anymore. And I thought the more, the longer I stay on this ladder, the, the higher I get up on it and the, you know, bigger the fall is down. So, or the climb back down. So I thought, you know, I just need a reset. Um, we had enough money to, to live for, like, it's funny, you know, people want to build up 25 X their annual you know spend or whatever it is. Once you get to like 10 X your annual spend, you can, you can take 10 years off like if you want. I mean, you're not going to, but you could. So I think a lot of people delay their happiness because they want to flip over this magical number in a really heroic way, like a grand finale slam dunk finish. Um, so they, they picture this massive event where suddenly their life will um, like magically improve and all these awesome things will happen. So they don't work on their happiness beforehand. They sort of just delay their happiness. They, um, you know, continue working a miserable job. They don't do all the things that they want to do. They don't travel or experience life and whatnot in the meantime. And, and they focus on money as a priority and to get to that point because I think that point is the be all end all. Um, what I've found is that, um, and this sort of ties back to the coast fi um, or slowing down side of it, is that you can actually experience a lot of those freedoms and a lot of those feelings that you've got right now. You can experience them early in the journal journey without actually achieving financial independence. So, um, so for example, right now you can sort of do whatever you want with your time and work where, wherever you want because you're financially independent. You can travel wherever you want because you're financially independent. You can spend your days enjoy, like pursuing the hobbies. But, um, you know, someone who's actually just 50% on their way to their journey, someone like me, I can also travel wherever I want right now. I can buy whatever I want right now. Actually, I have the money to do it and I can work wherever I want right now. Going back to the sort of like any job option will cover me until I reach financial independence. So my wife and I already experience financial independence, that, those feelings, but way earlier on our journey. So I encourage people that although, yes, absolutely shoot for that finish line, that's, that's the dream. That's why we're all here. But don't think that it's going to 
magically improve your life. Start those little life improvements early and try and achieve the benefits or try and live some of those benefits as early as possible, even if it means slowing down your timeline. What did you have like a fine number that you're going for? Um, yeah, somewhere, somewhere up around the, I don't know, two and a half, three and a half million dollar mm. mark. It's not, um, I don't know, everyone calculates, um, their fine number in a different way. I think ours is up in the air because our lifestyle is still, <laughs> we're still sorting it out. We're so young. We don't, we don't have all the, um, you know, expenses dialed in completely. So that's why I can't be really specific about it. I think if you asked me three years ago, I would have said, yeah, I need uh, you know, exactly $1.572 million and here's exactly where it's going to be. But that's, that's just gone now. Our plans are so flexible. And we also plan to be working for a long while. We're, we're still interested in doing things. And I actually like making money. It's my, that's where my brain goes. So, um, you know, hitting financial independence will be cool. However, and I'll cry like you and all that good stuff, all the feelings will come. Uh, But at the same time, I don't really actually think it'll change our lifestyle that much. We'll still be doing what we enjoy doing. That's so cool. I love that. So what are your like streams of income right now as a couple in terms of like, what is this cool Coast 5 thing you talk about on your website? Yeah. So, uh, well, let me tackle the Coast 5 question. Coast 5 is a... um, it's a, it's sort of like a flavor of financial independence. I think how everyone's goal is to, um, you know, reach a point where they have enough income where they don't have to work anymore. And um, you can sort of do whatever you want and your, your money can basically fund your lifestyle for the rest of your life. Um, but there are different ways to get there. My grandpa, um, got, like I said, got there when he was um, early 50s. A lot of people don't retire until their late 60s or 70s. So uh, financial independence, retire early, the fire movement is all about, I don't know, seeing if you can reach that a little bit earlier. Um, but there's different flavors of that. Um, one of them is trying to get there as fast as possible. There are people that are trying to retire in their like early thirties or late twenties and, and yeah, like you. So, um, so, you know, and good on them. Uh, there are also people who are like um, maybe trying to slow down a little bit more and that's where the coast five fits in. The way I found out about it was um, I took a sabbatical from work and I was chatting with my friend at a pub one day and he was like, so like, when are you going to go back to work and when can you realistically retire? And I was thinking about this. I thought I could go back to work and get a job that pays me, I don't know, $200,000 a year or something. And I could uh, save a ton of money and I could work my ass off. And I could probably realistically retire in, I don't know, five years or something like that. Um, you know, this is before I was 40. So that, like big achievement. And then I thought, or I could slow down a little. I could get a job that's maybe in a different field or I could explore a little bit more and maybe get a job that pays $100,000 a year. So like half as much and then maybe retire in 10 years. That's not so bad. And then I thought, well, I could even dial it down a little bit further. What if I got a job that paid me $50,000 a year and I completely changed industries and pursued something totally wacky that I wanted? I could retire in say 20 years. So I started to play around with this number and I realized I've hit this point of inevitability that financial independence will eventually come for me at some point. And I get to decide how fast or slow I move, but I I can't screw it up. The only way to screw it up is if I completely stop working and start like pulling all of my assets and start going the opposite way, which I'm not really going to do. So anyway, um, this coast fi you know, movement or whatever I sort of stumbled across on, it was just to slow down and start to figure out how fast do I really want to go? And do I want to pursue work that I really want to do, even if it's at a lower pay? So uh, you asked about streams of income. My wife's a teacher, school teacher. Um, she, she earns about... <laughs> 
about thirty thousand dollars a year. Um, you know, pretty low. Uh, she's um, she's awesome at what she does. She loves what she does. The kids love her. She gets thank you cards and gift cards from the parents, and um, she's amazing at what she does. I don't want to disrupt that just to go earn extra money. Uh, she's she wants to continue doing that whether we uh, have money or not. Um, I'm blogging right now. I, I write uh, finance articles and. Um, yeah, I'm probably in that thirty to forty thousand dollar range. So as a couple, we don't earn too much, and we probably spend all that inside of a year. So um, we're not actively pouring a lot into our savings, uh, but that's okay because um, for the assets that we have saved already, our rental properties, our real estate partnerships, and um, you know a small amount of stocks, uh, those will continue to grow and compound and grow and grow and grow. And if we don't touch them or withdraw from them for the next ten years, we can probably reach our fire number organically. So that's our story. But I also think that um, people that have 20 years left on their journey, or perhaps they're in their 40s, and they're just starting their path to financial independence, it does not mean that you have to be miserable for 20 years. It does not mean that you have to work into a, in a place that you don't like. It doesn't mean that you can't travel. So anyway, um, yeah, that's, that's my take. And- yeah, I love that so much. And like, that's what I really want to blog about for some platform someday. Like, I was one of those people delaying gratification. And um, I was like, that's it. And here's why, because I've learned that sometimes if you're chasing something, you become in a constant state of chasing it. So whether that's weight loss or a million dollars, whatever, you're so like focused on the fact that you don't have it, that it energetically won't come to you. I love that you said that. And I think that was the main realization coming out of my sabbatical, which um, a lot of people keep asking, like, what are these things that you find out about yourself during sabbatical? Should I take a year off? Should I, you know, take a mini vacation, a mini retirement? Um, That realization that you just described is exactly what it is. You start to realize that you already do have all these freedoms that you, you want and uh, it's about, about focusing on the things that you do have available to you versus the things that you don't. That's that's a really good insight. Yeah. And I also, I love that. So Money Self-Made, what my goal is that it's about sort of like self-improvement and psychology as well as money, knowing that like the end game is not the number. It's the person I became to get to that number. So to get to that number, I had to learn like minimalism. I had to learn, um, frugality, but in more of like a monk-like way of, of desirelessness. I, I, you know, I'm right there on the same path with you. Um, it, it started for me sort of accidentally a few years ago, and this ties into the 5am thing, which we can talk about. We, um, I started to write a little bit about um, just positivity and being happy with what you got and just these motivating, motivating messages and things like that. And I also blogged about personal finance and financial independence. And I sort of set it up in two sort of sides of my website and um, people actually had, they don't care about what I have to say about money and how to get financial independence and how to save and whatever. They were more caring about like how to be a better person and focus on yourself and build those skills to get to the person that you want to be at the end of the day. So that was really big realization for me. And then um, before budgets came along, I actually stopped writing about financial independence, write a little bit about properties, but no, I just mainly talk about um, how to be better and, you know, personal growth and things like that, personal development. 
Wow, I learned so much from this episode, and I'm so excited to let you know that this isn't all there is. That's right, it is a cliffhanger. So tune into the next episode. It's going to be more of me and Joel talking about what we do best, personal finance. Stay tuned for the next episode coming this week.